You've been watching Twin Peaks, right? Uh, no, I'm afraid I haven't. Oh my god, man. The new, the Twin Peaks Return series is probably the greatest thing I've ever seen. It's certainly up really? there with, yeah, yeah. It's just brilliant. Uh, one moment campy and, and hilarious. The next minute just <clears throat> t- terrifying. Um, all over the, like, just like right. m- mind-bending. So for, for that was a little thing for for the folks out there that are Twin Peaks fans like me. Oh man, I love that show so much. Like Game of Thrones season finale we had this week, it was all right. But then I watched the second last episode of the Twin Peaks reboot. Oh my god, mate, just killed it, killed it. Oh, I'll try it out as soon as I finish um, Doctor Who. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. I'll get to I'll, it's it's in the queue. Doctor Hugh is dominating the queue right now, but I'll get to it. Doctor Who is in the queue. Uh, welcome yes. to the Cold War show. Uh, we have got some good stuff. Yeah, some good stuff uh, going on in these episodes. Uh, the last time, as you may recall, the warm feelings and and bond that developed between the big three at Yalta didn't last long. Once they got back to the real world, it's a bit like Ray. I don't know if you can relate to this, but I think it's a bit like meeting the girl of your dreams while you're on vacation in Paris. Right. And there's the romance of being in a strange and foreign land. There's the foreign food. You're going to the charcuterie and you're going to the boulangerie and and you're just you're you're experiencing all this stuff. You meet this girl. You're like two strangers in a strange place and you connect. And and then once you get back home to your wife and kids, the reality <laughs> kicks in. And you're like, really? What was... Uh, what's that all about? Um, uh, this is what it was like for the big three. They fell in love in Yalta. Let's be honest. Yeah. Uh, it was it was a fractious love. There was a bit of you know slapping yeah. around and hanky panky. By the way, just remind me not to make any rape jokes on these episodes today because uh, deal boy deal. did did I get in trouble for making <laughs> rape jokes? And as I said to somebody on Facebook on the Life of Caesar <laughs> show, we've been making jokes about decapitate. Don't make me pull a sula is a decapitation joke. We've been making jokes about decapitation for four years. No one batted a fucking eyelid. I made a t-shirt and a coffee mug with a guy holding a severed head. It's the best-selling thing in our online store. No one said anything about, oh, you think that's funny, joking about decapitation? Mention rape, though. No, people are like up in arms. Sorry, sorry, is rape worse than beheading someone and carrying their head around? Why is that okay to make fun of, yeah. but the raping not? I don't know, man. Yeah. It's a funny world. Well, it's a funny world. <laughs> it is a funny world. Let me jump on the bandwagon here. Prior to you going off about rape again, uh, you said right before that that you weren't going to do it, and then you went into a 
rape montage or something. I don't know exactly. I'm like, is he is he joking? Is he gonna? Oh shit, he's not joking. Okay, so um, this time I got it. I will full stop you if it, if the R A P E comes up. <laughs> Not sure what that's what they had in mind. All right, although Matt and Trey would do a rape montage, they're, they're those kind of guys. Yeah. Um, okay, so just uh, thanks for keeping me on the straight and narrow there. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I got my rape whistle ready. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to tell another story. So you may have seen this on Facebook. So I was in an Uber yesterday, coming home from a meeting in the city, mm-hmm. and um, young guy driver's a young guy, hipster beard, dressed pretty snazzy. Yeah. Um, I figured he was a barista. I said, so what do you do when you're not driving? He said, oh, I'm a finance broker. I'm sort of in between jobs at the moment, looking for jobs. I'm like, oh, all right. I said, so um, he said, what do you do? And I said, oh, look, I do a bunch of different things. I run a marketing consulting business. And uh, I also run a business where I make sort of history documentaries, some audio, some video. He said, oh, mm-hmm. man, i got to tell you, the thing that I'm into right now. I said, what's that? He goes, long form history podcasts I, I fucking i love them you know and, and there's this dan carlin guy he does like three hour episodes oh, just fantastic guys. but yeah. sometimes i want to i want to have some i want to laugh when i'm listening to stuff you know you just want to have a laugh as well as learn so i re, i'm what i'm really into is long form history podcasts with some humor shout out to jason if he's ever eventually listening to this jason my uber driver and I said, oh and it goes on for like minutes, five, ten, five, ten minutes. And I'm like, all right, what, like, is this, is this candid camera? Am I being set up yeah. here? And, yeah. and I said, really? So uh, what, are the, what are some of the shows that you listen to? He goes, oh, this is a great show, The Dollop. He said, there's this Aussie show. I was like, okay, here it comes. And he says, uh, I don't know, it's like, uh, I can't remember what it was called. It wasn't us anyway. He's like, and he doesn't mention us. I was like, oh. Oh, and um, I said, well, um, I don't want to come across like a douchebag or anything. <laughs> he said, no, douchebag away. I said, well, I pretty much invented uh, long form history podcasting. <laughs> he said, and humor. He said, you invented it. Yeah, yeah. 2006 <laughs> yes. Napoleon series, you know. Don't make me talk about it. 100 hours of Napoleon. These days, told you about all the stuff that we did. And I said, and we tell a lot of dick jokes. There's a lot of homoerotic humor. We come up with nicknames. There's <laughs> like rape. Are you into rape jokes? We're all across that, man. I said, no. you know, our motto is D back, don't be a cunt. That's basically how we see all of history. And he said, do you have a cunt dinger? I said, no, what's that? He said, I want these other shows that he listens to. They have a cunt thing. Every time they, they have, a, like on the soundboard, every time somebody says cunt, they, they play like a, a an air horn or something. I don't know. I said, no, we don't bother with that. We just say it and then giggle like schoolboys, yeah. you know? So we anyway. celebrate it and move on. He's yeah. like, oh, yeah. man, like I'm, I'm so glad to get into that. I'm like, all right, you do that, champ. Yeah. Oh, it was funny. Right. funny. Funny. It was a weird, weird yeah. situation. Surreal. Man. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Next year, he's going to hear this. He's going to hear this next yeah, year. sometime in the next couple of years. Yeah. Um, so the so we mentioned last time, shit's starting to fall apart. Stalin and yeah. Roosevelt are sending terse e- uh, emails to each other. Uh, <laughs> they're having a text conversation with like grumpy sh- the poo emoji they're sending <laughs> about Poland. 
and 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 American um, soldier POWs getting back home, getting getting diplomatic access to them, all that kind of stuff. The next issue to drive a wedge between the big three was Romania. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 this is poor Harryman, who's who's in Moscow, who's got to deal with this kind of stuff. So it's late February, March, nineteen forty-five. Soviets are obviously going big time into Romania because they have moved through it, they have conquered it, they are using it as a as a base as far as communications and supplies. So they don't have time to screw around Romania. They need Romania calm. So um, Molotov says back in forty-four, he said that of course all consular officers can come to Romania, check it out. You can observe that kind of stuff. But then when uh, Lee E. Metcalf, one of the American delegates to the Allied Control Commission, tries to get to Romania, he gets a big N.O. from the Russians, and he's told that he's not welcome there. He's not needed. There is nothing for him to do there. Why bother and go? Wow. I So I see you actually did uh, do your reading last night, right? I did. <laughs> I did. I don't want to talk about it. Got an, got an email from Ray 24 hours ago saying, uh, listen, listen, 18 hours ago saying, oh, I think I fucked up. I, I read the wrong section or something, prepared for Let's the wrong just dates say, or something. Let's I'm, I'm ready for the three shows that come after these three shows. <laughs> Month from now, right? yeah, you'll remember. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. So where is Romania? Tell everyone about Romania, Ray. I, I didn't know much about Romania. Can you debrief us on know Romania? I'm an American D back, mm. what'd you say? D back. Okay. Well, I'll um <laughs> I'll just back and I won't D back. Um Romania, for those of you like me who don't uh, know much about it, is a is a tiny country, borders the oh. Black Sea, Bulgaria, the Ukraine, Hungary, Serbia, and Moldova. Ooh. Its capital is Bucharest, which you've probably heard of. Now, modern Romania was formed in 1859 when the principalities of Moldavia and Wallachia were combined. They were unionized, Mm -hmm. I guess. They formed a union. (laughs) Um, And the new state uh, was named Romania in 1866, and it gained independence from the Ottoman Empire in 1877. Now, at the end of World War One, uh, of course, the Ottoman Empire was destroyed, and three other states or principalities were uh, merged, if you like, into the Kingdom of Romania. Those mm-hmm. were Transylvania, Bukovina, and Bessarabia. I like that. Now, during World War Two, Romania was being run by a, a, a tyrant. Um, and they became an ally of the Nazis. They were fighting against the Soviet Union, of course, after 1941. Uh, And then around about 1944, the government changed, the tyrant collapsed, and uh, they joined the Allies. But they were occupied by the Red Army, and uh, they lost several territories, including northern Transylvania. Now, uh, it's obviously, you said vampires before, and so I I drilled down into this um, Mm -hmm. in the week. Transylvania, of course, in uh, Bram Stoker's book is the home of Dracula. Um, Mm -hmm. And people may have heard that the name Dracula comes from Vlad the Impaler, 
who was uh, from Romania. Do you know anything about Vlad the Impaler Ray? No, no, please tell me. Why shall? Um, <laughs> Vlad the Third, uh, also known as Vlad the Impaler, or mm-hmm. in Romanian, I think it's Vlad Shepesh. Shepesh. Um, or he's also known as Vlad Dracula. Dracula, as I like to say. Ah, it. I was telling my wife no. this story last night. I said Dracula. She just started laughing. Don't fucking pronounce like why? Why do you have to? I said because it's um this is how vampires talk. I know this. I know this from Carl yeah, from Sesame Street. One one cookie Uh Don't don't tell me that the count of Sesame Street doesn't know how to speak yeah. with a Romanian accent. Like fuck uh, yeah. That would ruin my entire life. <laughs> Anyway, Vlad III was uh, a prince or a voivode of Wallachia. Wallachia, Wallachia mm-hmm. in the late 15th century. He was the second son of Vlad Dracul, who was the ruler of Wallachia in 1436. Now, Dracul means mm-hmm. dragon. Ah. And Vlad Dracul, the, the father received the name after he became a member of the Order of the Dragon. Now, the Order of the Dragon, Societus Draconistarum, mm-hmm. uh, which is the Society of the Dragonists, was a monarchical chivalric order for the nobility, which was founded in 1408 by... They, Sid- they got too much free time on their hands. And for, Go ahead. Go ahead. By Sigismund von Luxemburg, who was the king of Hungary at the time and mm-hmm. later became the Holy Roman Emperor. And it was, you know, like one of these military orders like we're familiar with from the Crusades, um, where their basic job was to defend the cross and fight the enemies of Christianity, in particular at this point, the Ottoman Empire, Muslims. Yeah. Um, and Dracula means son of the dragon. Mm. So Vlad Dracula was Vlad, son of the dragon. Son of the dragon, of course, is also a great Bruce Lee film where he fights Chuck Norris in the Colosseum. Sorry, that was a recording of Chrissy and I making out this morning. Um, I was going to say, damn it, quit, quit putting microphones under my bed. That shit's not funny. <laughs> Sorry, that film was The Way of the Dragon, not The Son of the Dragon. Um, great, great movie. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. during his main reign, which was 1456 to 1462, Vlad the Sun got the nickname The Impaler. Ooh. Not for what you're thinking. It had nothing to do with rape. <laughs> it was because he killed between... 
<laughs> that is the worst rape whistle. Seriously, if if you I was, me off guard. if I was raping you and you blew that whistle, everyone would go really. Just you deserve a breeze. You deserve to be raped with that. If that's the best you can do, you, with that you have the tip in before you. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. Vlad the Impaler, because he killed, I reckon, between forty thousand to a hundred thousand civilians. Jeez. who were mostly political rivals and criminals and anyone else that he considered useless to humanity, killed them mm-hmm. by impaling them. Uh, basically, you would get a very long, sharp spike. Think a Sarissa from the uh, Alexander series. Right. Run it through someone's abdomen mm. and then stick the uh, end of it in the ground and just leave them hanging on this thing, right? Uh, tens of, of thousands of people, including a lot of Ottoman Turks, which he drove off. Long story, he and his brother were sort of kept hostage by the Ottomans at one point to maintain, assure their father's loyalty, and then they invaded, and, and, and then Vlad turned on them and, 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 and defended his kingdom. He's a hero, anyway. He's a folk right. hero uh, in Romania, um, and the whole association with Dracula and the devil and evil is quite ironic when you realise that the the name Dracula actually was given to a guy because he was a defender of Christianity. Oh, and God. A, a, the irony. And, you know, yeah, a mass murderer of uh of Well, you Muslims. defend Christianity your way and he'll defend Christianity his way. <laughs> the whole thing in... in Vampire films where you hold up a cross to ward right. off uh, a vampire. In real life, it was really he would have been going, "Yes, that's who I kill for the cross." Yes, <laughs> <laughs> one one cross, one hundred thousand bodies impaled on spikes. <laughs> and of course, Romania is the best place to get your cloaks. So, um, if you are thinking about, you know, check online because that's where they started at. Okay, uh, and your lettuce. So, Cloaks and Lettuce, that's cloaksandlettuce.co.ro is um, where you go. Uh, in 1944, getting back to the story, Molotov, as you say, had uh, sort of promised that every, the British and the Americans would be allowed into Romania. Um, mm-hmm. And he said, you know, well, not he said, but that was kind of the deal that they had in Italy. The rest of the allies, that all of your ambassadors and consular officers, you'd be allowed in. But as you say, uh, this American guy, Lee E. Metcalf, was uh, denied entry. He was their delegate on the Allied Control Commission, the American delegate. Um, If anybody should be allowed in, it should be him. Why is that? Because he's a part, he's the he's the American representative of the Allied Control Commission that's going to try and figure out what to do with all these countries after the war. So that's specifically why he is there to look around, see what's going on, and to go back home to Washington or whatever and report. Oh, I thought you said because he was a vampire. I thought that's where you were. No, um, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> so anyway. Molotov knew the Americans weren't going to be happy about this. Um, so he said, "Well, look." The Soviets had no rights in Italy whatsoever. They mm-hmm. they had nothing to do because we got nothing going on down there. 
They were just there to people say, hey, uh, give me a coffee, really. They were there to make espressos <laughs> for everybody else. So, you know, this is only fair. And, and yep. Harriman said, what the f- That makes no sense whatsoever. But the basic deal was, listen, don't interfere with what we're doing in Eastern Europe and we won't interfere with what you're doing in Western and Southern Europe and we'll all get along. Just everyone look the other way. And-, right. <laughs> and, and and that should have been the end of it. It's not the answer the Americans and the British wanted to hear, but that should have been the end of it because, again, you do what you want over there. We didn't involve when you set up De Gaulle in France. We, we had nothing to do with that. You leave us alone over here. But on February 13th, Two days after Yalta, Romanian communists started a massive demonstration in Bucharest, and they wanted the coalition government of the general Radescu, I'm probably saying it wrong, Radescu, removed. I think it's, you've got to do the, it's Radescu. (laughs) Radescu. (laughs) That's bad. I hurt myself. Uh, Anyway, so, and they wanted a uh, communist-controlled cabinet put in the place because the people supposedly were cheering and wanting Repub- uh, wanting the communists. And if you want to be democracy, you have to listen to the people. So again, um, so the people are saying, get rid of this person. We want the communists because they're going to take care of us. Yeah, it's important to remember that throughout many countries, uh, not just you know European countries, but also in England, the United States, and Australia, there were relatively strong communist movements, but particularly in that part of the world where they Mm -hmm. had been controlled by far-right parties, as Radescu was. He was a member of a far-right party before the war. He was vehemently anti-communist. The the communist movements had a lot of popular support. Today, we tend to associate communist control, I think, with... Uh, brutal military dictatorship or oligarchy. But mm-hmm. I think it's hard for people in the West to really appreciate that. Of course, not everybody in the in Eastern Europe, the end of World War II was pro-communist, but they, were, they, were, they had a lot of support. They were very popular right. because they did promise to put the people in control. They were the only party, really, promising to put the people in power. Uh, the rest of the parties were a lot more aligned with the elite, as they always had been, as our political parties tend to be today, both in Europe and, and the rest of the world. Um, so the, the, the people really wanted some element of say over their lives. So as you say, there was this massive uh, protest uh, at the front of uh, their parliament buildings. And... Uh, at some point, someone, no one really knows who, opened fire on Ooh. the protesters, as we saw in, in Greece in an earlier episode. It seems to have come from the Interior Ministry building situated across the street, and about 10 protesters were killed. The Soviets blamed Radescu. Uh, they said it like this, Radescu. Um <laughs> And basically, you know, the 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 shit the, the yeah. shit was on then. Yeah, yeah. You can't have dead bodies in the streets and something not happen. So the United States and the British representatives of the Allied Control Commission for Romania responded by requesting a meeting of the commission on February twenty fourth. And Stalin's like, uh, yeah, okay, I know a guy. Let me send him down to you. His name is Andre Vyshinsky. Vyshinsky. He's sent to Bucharest, and the Westerners for some reason, thought that he was a fairly liberal guy for a Russian. 
Oh, and he was. I mean, if you need people killed, Vyshinsky's your guy. He's very liberal <laughs> when it comes to having people killed. Yeah, the the, <laughs> the uh, Allies didn't know much about Vyshinsky. Um, and, uh, yeah, did they have something to learn? Um, he had been a, a Menshevik before the revolution, to just to remind people, your, your mm-hmm. socialists in... Uh, um, Russia before the revolution. <laughs> the yeah, the major party and the minor party, yeah, the Mensheviks, the Mensheviks and the Bolsheviks. The Mensheviks really wanted a peaceful transition um, right. of power. Uh, they were willing to work with the uh, interim government. They were w- willing to take their time to have a peaceful transition of power to the people. The Bolsheviks didn't want any of that. They wanted not so much. No, we we what do we want it? Everything. When do we want it? <clears throat> now, and we're going to take it to the point of a gun. Um, <clears throat> so he'd been a Menshevik. He was jailed by, <clears throat> excuse me, by the Tsar um, after the 1905 uh, attempt at revolution, and ended up meeting Stalin in prison. And apparently they had a lot of debates. They used to talk, you know, they, they would debate about the finer points of Marxism. When he got out of prison, Vyshinsky became a professional lawyer, stayed a Menshevik. And then actually in 1917, after the February Revolution, when the interim government was in place, the provisional government, he was a minor official in that and actually undersigned an order to have Lenin arrested always good for your long-term career prospects to sign in order to have <laughs> Lenin arrested. <laughs> but the October Revolution, which is when the Bolsheviks uh, took power, uh, sort of put a stop to that nonsense, and the arrest order obviously was dissolved. So in 1917, he also uh, became reacquainted with Big Joe, and he joined the staff of the People's Commissariat for Food, which was responsible for food supplies into Moscow. 1920, mm-hmm. after the end of the Russian Civil War, he joined the Bolsheviks, and he's been a pretty important power player ever since. Did you want to talk about some of his background? Well, I just thought it was interesting that the Americans, and this kind of disappointed me as a fellow American, uh, they were a little too, I don't know, shallow and interpreting this guy, um, Vyshensky, um supported or recognized the government of Marshal uh, Pietro Bagdolio in Italy, who was set up by the Westerners. And just because of that, um, they thought that he was, you know, he was a fairly liberal um, guy for, for being a communist. And so they thought he would come in, he would be open to the Radescu government in Romania, and that he could assess it um, fairly and partially and help calm the situation down. But again, the Americans were basing this, uh, their opinion of him, their interpretation of him, of him on very little information. And it turns out that they were way, way off base in, in sizing this guy up. Yeah. Um, so what they didn't know was that in 1935, as the Procurator General of the USSR, Vyshinsky had actually been the legal mastermind of Stalin's Great Purge. He, uh, he, he was the guy that said, yeah, well, act technically. Well, when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal. That was Vyshinsky's Fuck basic yeah. Stalin does it. Stalin says you're guilty. Got to be right. Stalin, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
1936, uh, he became famous internationally, Vyshinsky this is, when he was the prosecutor at the uh, Zinoviev-Karmanev trial, which was the first of the uh, Moscow trials during the Great Purge. And some of the shit that he laid out in the courtroom, man, it was just, wow, wow. Here's here's, uh, one of the things that he said during his prosecution. Shoot these rabid dogs. Death to this gang who hide their ferocious teeth, their eagle claws from the people. Down with that vulture Trotsky from whose mouth a bloody venom drips putrefying the great ideals of Marxism. Down with these abject animals. Let's put an end once and for all to these miserable hybrids of foxes and pigs, these stinking corpses. Let's exterminate the mad dogs of capitalism who want to tear to pieces the flower of our new Soviet Union. Let's push the bestial hatred they bear our leaders back down their own throats. Damn. I bet they, Stalin loved that shit. Ate the, ju- it up. the judge said, don't hold back. Tell us what you really think. <laughs> Fuck. He is also, Fashinsky, attributed as the author of Stalin's most famous quote, I think. Give me a man and I will find the crime. <laughs> He's, He's gone from being a Nazi villain sort of now to a... Uh, Count Dracula, really. That's <laughs> all blending in. Bernie Capel from Get Smart into Count Dracula. He has a varied background. He's seen it all. He's done it all. Can't stop, won't stop. Give me a give me a man and give me a man and I will find the crime. It's it's a bit like that old um, Jesuit thing. Give me a give me a boy at age seven and um I thought I was going with a rape joke there. He's gotta stop that! No. Give me <laughs> Give me a seven-year-old boy and I'll give you the man. (laughs) He says, give me a man and I will find the crime. And then... No, uh, I thought you were going to say the priest said, give me a seven-year-old boy. Please? No, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, now you're making pedophilia jokes. What is wrong with you two? Hold on. I'm going to whistle it myself. See, I can't whistle. It's it's not something I do. Where, where were he, we? Vyshinsky also served as the deputy <laughs> foreign minister under Molotov since 1940. And he was at Yalta, but obviously the British and the Americans didn't know much about him because they thought, yeah, he sounds like a pretty good guy. We should be able to work <laughs> with this guy. Yeah. I like the cut of his jib. However... <laughs> And I and if and if you're not finished, tell me. But on February 27th, Vyshinsky arrives, meets with the king of Romania, and he says, "Look, I've I've thought about this on the way here, and I've and I've examined the the evidence, and and I just pretty much think that uh, Reduce, Radescu, the government, needs to go." And then he fuck. Then he went off. He started screaming, yelling. These people do not. These people can't maintain order. They can't take care of the of the people. Uh, this government is not based on truly democratic forces. I.e., the communists are obviously the majority here. This guy loses his shit and demands that the king has two hours and two hours only to dismiss his government. And he's just a Soviet representative. Who in the hell does he think he is? But he comes in with such vehemence that it shocks 
everybody. Yeah. So he's come in, the Soviet deputy foreign ministers come in and demanded that the king of Romania uh, dismiss his government, his prime minister, replace him with a whole new parliament. Um, now, do you know much about the king of Romania at the time, Michael I? No. Nope. Tell me. He was king of Romania first. He, he first became king of Romania <laughs> in 1927 mm-hmm. when he was six years old. Oh, wow. Because he said, yeah, I mean, how hard can it be, really? Like, uh, <laughs> A six-year-old could do it. Yeah, anyone could do it. Um, when his father, who had been forced to abdicate because he had had uh, an extramarital affair with a commoner. Uh, That's the whole he... point of being a king. Exactly. What is the point Thank of you. being a king if you... And we're not, talk- we're not talking rape. We're no. just talking, hey, I'm the king. You're hey. a commoner. I can wow you for one night. Come look at my palace. Check out my royal scepter. You know, n- no rape, just seduction. That's the whole point of being a king. Got to be the king. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so he was king. <laughs> and then uh, in... 1930, uh, his father returned because should have gone to hell in a handbasket. Um, then his father was forced to abdicate again in 1940, uh, mm-hmm. the beginning of beginning of World War Two, and uh, Michael was king again, uh, age 19 this time until right. he abdicated in 1947. Oh, God. <sighs> When the communists took over, basically. So, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's the king. Uh, you know, think what you want about his um, uh, appropriateness being a king. Right. So, what, in 1945, when he's being chewed out by Vyshinsky, he's 24, I guess. Yeah. Give or take. So, yes. And he, Vyshinsky demanded that the government should be based on truly democratic forces. Mm. And he accused the existing government of protecting fascists. Now, as, as we will see, communists at this point, the Soviets, love to throw around the fascist word. A little bit like... The F word. A little bit like <laughs> uh, the Democrats in America today. Uh, and the, 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 the quote-unquote liberal media. Oh, everyone's a fascist. Oh, they're Nazis. Yeah. They're waving, yeah. they're waving swastika flags, as I've been saying, uh, regrettably, on Facebook over the last couple of weeks, because I promised you I wasn't going to weigh into this whole Charleston Nazi thing, but I did. Right. Bunch of young dickheads walking around waving flags with swastikas on them does not a Nazi make. Being a Nazi is more than having a crew cut and waving a fucking flag. Being a Nazi mm-hmm. actually takes work. Hitler didn't become <laughs> Chancellor of Germany because he marched down the street and waved a fucking flag. It took decades of political organisation and building the brown shirts and, you know, giving speeches and building a support base. And even then, he only became Chancellor through luck, really, because right. everyone else was too fucking stupid to run the country. He didn't win 
of a majority of a vote. He still had what? What did the Nazis have in '33? It was like fifteen percent of the vote or something. Twenty percent of the vote. What did they get? I know they were they were a minority. It they was couldn't... a minority, but yeah, Hindenburg was losing it. So yeah, Hindenburg was like he, he, 137 or something, and he he pretty much put Hitler in charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit like yeah. Churchill came to power. <laughs> King was well, like, I, "Well, I, no one else wants to do it. Here, you have the job." Let, let me ask you this. Let me let me uh, throw this back at. Um, so yeah, Hitler takes his time. <clears throat> he develops the philosophy. He develops the speeches. He develops the street gangs. He develops a political party. He comes to power. But in 2017, if I'm a 20 year old and I generally know the basics of what Hitlerism is, uh, my race is better than everybody else. Everybody else is inferior, and they need to be put down, even if it's by physical means. If even if I don't know all the details, I can't argue. Uh, the finer points of Hitlerism with you, but I basically know what the guy stood for, and I'm 20 years old, and I agree with it, and I pick up a swastika, and I hit a, a black guy with a stick, which happened, obviously, in Charlottesville. Be- the only reason I hit him was because he's black. He's either a Nazi, or he's well on his way to Naziville. He's just a racist douchebag. Just to fucking, you know, arrest him for violence, for, for mm-hmm. assault. He's just a douchebag. Doesn't make you a Nazi. Just right. makes you a racist douchebag, right? But but post nine but post nine uh, eleven, that's now uh, a hate crime and or a terrorist act. A terrorist act it, hit, hitting someone with a stick. Well, I think because they you know they they marched without permits, the swastika and all that other stuff, and viol- no, I don't know. Had, I mean, they had permits. No, well, it was violated, but we don't have to get into all that. But one guy, this is what pisses me off. One guy pulled out a gun during Charlottesville, and they just found this video a day or so ago, and he shot into a crowd of uh, people who were protesting the protesters, and they only charged him with firing a gun within a thousand feet of a school, not attempted murder or or whatever other thing. And I'm like, really? You can't do better than that? but, he fired okay. into the air or into the actual crowd. Well, he he he, he fired it out of the crowd, but I think if I the way the video looks, it looks like he missed intentionally, but he fired a gun. I mean, just this was caught on video. He just pulled out his gun and fired near some people who were protesting the Nazis. I'm like, fuck. So his life is over because they found him. I guess it's a federal offense. I anyway, anyway. So well, if it's talk. a federal offense, Trump will be able to <clears throat> pardon him. Uh, by the way, in the last election in 33, March 33, uh, the Nazis got 33%, a little bit higher than 33. I uh, yeah. before. Yeah. But still, it, it wasn't enough, and Hindenburg pretty much chose Hitler. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. back to our fucking story. Uh, so, did you, James... Yeah. What? No, no, go ahead. James Burns, Justice Burns... Uh, from the United States, uh, FDR promised him he'd be the Veep, then he wasn't. Uh, he wrote, uh, in Lee, this is based on a report from an American representative who was in this meeting between Vyshinsky and the King. In leaving, Vyshinsky slammed the door so hard that the plaster around the door frame was cracked badly. It has never Damn. been fixed. It remains to testify to the strength of his feeling and his arm. Damn. And Vizinski won. I mean, the, the, the government was out. Another go- a communist government's going to be put in. 
Because if you think about it, this guy is pretty much talking for Stalin. He's extremely angry. He's trying to intimidate this 24-year-old king, which obviously works. The Soviets pretty much run the state because they have their army, their troops all over the place because they're they're going through it to get to uh, to Germany and other parts of uh, the Balkans. And so when you know when you have someone else's army on your territory and they tell you what to do, you pretty much do it. And so this is a complete Soviet victory through intimidation. Yeah. So they, Zvishinsky manages to install a new communist government led by a Romanian communist, Petru Groza. Now, the, the, you know, the Brits and the Americans were alarmed about this effective coup d'etat by the Soviets in Romania. Mm-hmm. But Churchill really isn't in a position to say much about it because he's just done the same thing in Greece, effectively. Uh, you know, sending his troops in uh, and installing or maintaining the power of the monarchy and the monarchy's elected government in uh, in um, Greece. Greece. So they're both so, interfering in these countries immediately after Yalta, right. during and after Yalta. But, but haven't you learned when a Western power that is based off democracy does it, it's okay when a communist evil bastard Pinko does it. It's evil. But like you said, because of the percentages deal, he can't say shit. He has literally shackled his own hands with it, with his own document. And Stalin knows this. And FDR knows this. And Churchill did write a note to Roosevelt and complain that the Russians have succeeded in establishing... <clears throat> sorry. The, the Russians have succeeded... In establishing the rule of communist minority by force and misrepresentation. Uh, Roosevelt said, yes, my good friend, but Romania is not a good place for a test case. And and he was right. I mean, he knows, like you said at the beginning of the show. It's full of vampires. No No one wants to save it. It's full of vampires. The cross isn't working. Maybe the vampires... If the vampires will come here, destroy our way of life, if we support them. Okay, now you sound like a cross between JFK, Sir David Markham, uh, and and uh, a vampire. I don't know. It was, it was getting really, it was getting really weird there at the end. I don't know. I don't know. But that's just my interpretation. So you were saying you were trying to say no, something? No, that's fine. No, I understand the vampire in you has to come out. Uh, no, but. FDR, like you said, is getting frustrated. His his entire staff has already been frustrated. They're waiting for him to catch up. Churchill's frustrated. But again, he knows at some point he is going to have to stand up to uh, to Stalin. He's going to have to do it forcibly. But it's got to be over something that, one, that is worth it. And two, you actually have a decent chance at winning. And he's absolutely right. Romania does not meet either of these conditions. And so to do anything would to be, you know, um, wasting your time. Wait, wait until you have a good cause, and then you go at them. But this, there's nothing they can do about it. It is a done deal. Yeah, and if you look at where Romania is on a map, it mm-hmm. you know it's it's a very sort of important strategic location for Stalin at the time <laughs> for his supply lines, for his communication mm-hmm. lines. So he would just be able to argue military necessity, the same thing that they've argued with Iran, control of Iran, um, the same thing that Churchill is arguing in Greece. 
So and and as you said earlier, the Red Army basically is there. So what are you going to do? You can bitch and moan about it, but <laughs> nothing's going right. to happen. Then then you're yeah. just bitching and you, you got to pick your battles, right? Right, exactly. And of course, Roosevelt knew about the percentages deal that Churchill and mm-hmm. Stalin had signed a couple of years previously, and uh, that could get out. That's not going to look good. If that uh, gets out into the public, so yeah, this isn't this yeah. isn't really yeah. Let's just blah blah hush it hush it it's, up. Right, it's it's a non-starter, and of course the people back in Washington Washington want something to be done, but since FDR stayed silent, and really as far as Stalin is concerned, the American president is the only one that matters because FDR stayed silent. Uh, Stalin ignored pretty much all the bitching from the lower. From the from the little birdies, and he, he could afford to do that. And again, in March 17 of 1945, Molotov shuts down an American request to even talk about the Romanian situation. This is a done deal. This is a non-starter. Stalin knows it. FDR knows it. Now everybody else needs to know it. Well, one of the clauses that Churchill had inserted into the Declaration on Libera- Liberated Europe, or the Dole, D-O-L-E, um, mm-hmm. When they were at Yalta, basically said if there was a crisis in one of these, uh, in, in any country really, uh, in Europe, in the liberated uh, parts of Europe, that the big Yo, three solve it. The big three would come together and solve it. Um, and Molotov said, "Well, there's no crisis. It's been solved." <laughs> so. Really, no need what, to. In- what crisis? I don't. I don't. I'm looking. I don't see one anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> No need to invoke the declaration because it's solved. So you snooze, you Voila. lose. You snooze, you lose, as Molotov's <laughs> replies. Um, but around so, this, yeah. around yeah, this time, uh, they've got a much bigger problem, which is, as always, fucking Poland. Fucking Poland. That's all I had, really. Just, I, oh, I wrote fucking, down fucking that's, Poland. That, that's your notes on Poland. Yeah, fucking Poland. <laughs> so at Yalta... Uh, people may recall. I don't know if you remember, but we did some episodes on uh, the Yalta conference. <laughs> the formation of the Polish government uh, Crap. That they had decided would be decided by this commission that mm-hmm. would be composed of Molotov, Harriman, Archibald Clark Kerr, the British ambassador, and they were going to meet in Moscow. And then we talked about in um, earlier episode. The there was this whole question about well, which polls should be represented there? The London polls, the polls in exile, or the Lublin polls, the government in Warsaw that was basically run by um, the communist polls. Mm-hmm. Now the London polls were London that is were convinced that the commission would be skewed it would be biased it would be run by molotov and basically that they were fucked <laughs> so they did what everyone does when they think they're going to get fucked in secret negotiations they they started talking to the media particularly the american Ooh. media in this instance on february 14th the washington post ran an article entitled London Poles Flay Big Three's Border Act accused conference of acting contrary to Atlantic Charter. Ooh. The Washington Times Herald joined in. Half of Poland is given to is given to Stalin. 
Yeah. yeah. And I'm sorry, I was just jumping on. I heard that. Yeah, I saw that. You jumped right up in there. You got you impaled that story. Some commentators in these articles referred to the deal on Poland as a compromise in which Stalin dictated most of the terms. And they were pretty much right uh, for all of the reasons yeah. that we talked about in the Yalta conference. Now, of course, Churchill got an earful from the Poles living in London, as did his Field Marshal Alexander, who met with the commander of the Polish forces in Italy, General Vladislav Anders, who told him his troops felt like they had been fucked up the ass and not in a good way. He was quick no. to point that out. It was pretty much R-A-P-E. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they, but they make a very good point. The the polls in London are pretty pissed. I mean, they're like, um, they the Lublin government is still around. Obviously, that should have been augmented with some of them. Um, there's no way to specify how many non-communists would be a part of the reorganized government if it is ever reorganized. And the Poland, uh, the Polish East and Western borders are being considered by a commission separately. Who that doesn't make sense to anybody. And of course, all of this is going to affect the Polish troops that have been fighting in this war since day one, because a lot of them got out of there and they're fighting with the Britons, the British, and they're fighting with the Americans, and it, this is going to dampen their enthusiasm. These people have been doing some incredible fighting over the last five years. Oh, really incredible! And people tell me it was incredible. It was, it was <laughs> some of the best fighting you've ever seen. You'd be yeah. so sick, of especially the, the fighting was the, the Battle of Britain. The Polish uh, pilots kicked ass when they were allowed to fight. And they, but again, this is going, when they hear about all these. Shit, though, this way that uh, Poland's being treated uh, badly, obviously it's going to affect their morale. Well, they understand what's going on. They understand that they've been fighting to stop the Germans having control of their country. And now, at the end of the war, the Russians are going to have control of their country. And they're like, well, what was the fucking point of right. that? They understand that perfectly. Yeah. So um, on February 21st, Churchill met with General Anderson and uh, he said he was distressed. He was predicting the end of Poland. And then uh, Mikolacek, the, um, the leader of the London Poles, former prime minister of Poland before the war, started bitching to the British press. And this, of course, increased pressure on Churchill. A lot of people were saying, well, why didn't you come up with a better fucking deal at Yalta? And he said, well, I was sleeping through most of it and drunk for the rest. What do you expect me to do? I'm an old drunk fat man. Tires tired all the time, yeah. And and as we said before, possession is 11 tenths of the law. The Russians were there. No one else was. They get to call the shots. 11 it's not tenths that now. Oh, he yeah, said it was yeah. nine tenths. Now it's eleven no, tenths. No, no. When up. it's Russians, when it's Russians and they've got guns, it's eleven tenths. <laughs> it's, they promoted themselves. <laughs> it's inflation. <laughs> exactly. Wartime, wartime inflation. Wartime, yeah, wartime yeah. inflation. It, it's a bitch. It yeah. really is. In peacetime, yeah. possession is nine tenths. In wartime, it's eleven tenths. True. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Churchill. Churchill gave an address to the House of Commons late February. And he had to discuss the, the whole settlement of the Polish question. His speech was interrupted many times. And 25 members of parliament, most of whom were from his own party, mm. voted against 
his motion to approve the altar decisions. Damn. Said because, mostly because they felt that Poland was getting fucked. Yeah. We went to war over Polish, over the Polish question. Yeah. They're fucked. That's all I have. But I, I do the funny voices on this show. Oh, today. sorry. No. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. You Bad do the track. rape whistle. I do the funny voices. <laughs> Clear delineation of powers here. It is in my contract. Now, someone else who was paying attention to what was going on here was uh, Joey Goebbels. <laughs> Goebbler. <laughs> Goebel Goebel. The turkey, as they called him. Big Joe Joe, Turk. Big Joey Turk. That's it. Joe Turk. You can make fun of people when they're Nazis. It's okay. As long as he never raped anyone, we're on safe ground here. (laughs) He was just a mass murderer. No one's going to complain about us joking about a mass murderer. We know that. No. Because we've tested tested those waters. Exactly. Tested the fuck out of it. Yeah. No one complains about mass murder (laughs) jokes. He, uh, He recorded in his diary... Criticism of the Alter decisions comes from Tory circles. The group of Tories forming the inner circle has long been at work either to bring Churchill back onto the right course or to bring him down. In these circles, people talk of Poland when, of course, they mean Germany. Yeah. I honestly don't understand what he's talking about when he says they mean Germany. What do you can you interpret that? Well, here's all I know. It's late February of 1945. This war is practically over. Why the why the any Nazi, anybody given the stiff arm salute, think that something good is going to come out of anything at this point is totally beyond, uh, beyond me. But he re- they really did because Goebbels told Hitler over and over and over again, especially in his bunker in the last couple of uh, weeks, that he was the um, the, uh, the the famed Redbeard Barbarossa who was going to come back and, and bring Germany to its greatness. And Hitler held on to that. And he told him up until up until the moment he died. So here's Goebbels saying, look, my Hitler, these guys are this. They're going to start fighting over Poland and their their alliance is going to break apart. They're going to start fighting each other. The Americans are going to come to us and the British are going to come to us and say, join us in a fight against the Russians, which we will happily do. And we will get to be able to keep a lot of the uh, territory that we conquered. They really, Goebbels really did believe this. He really believed this was the beginning of that coming true. And so when you see this stuff in his diary, you and I know it's shit, but he was really holding on to it. And if you think about it, these kind of hopeful Uh, This hopeful thinking was pretty much all they had at this point. He was in denial like Americans who think they still have a democracy. Exactly. People who go, well, you know, Trump will be gone one day and things will get back to normal. (laughs) There is no normal. This is the new normal. Yeah, this is the new normal. I think you're right. Um, I hope you're wrong. I hope we're wrong, but I think we're right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But, But the... I was just going to say that, of course, Goebbels was wrong. This was about Poland. It was always about Poland. It will always be about Poland. But unfortunately, this is just the early stage of the tension that Poland is going to bring to the entire uh, alliance. Yeah. Now, before the first meeting of the commission in Moscow to Mm -hmm. determine the future of Poland, the British tried to get on the same page as the Americans, as they had been trying to do for a long time. They said, listen, it, don't, 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 doesn't matter if Stalin's upset by the fact that we're getting our ducks lined up. Fuck Stalin. Let's just make sure that this time, 
We're Sorry. on the same page. Like at Yalta, at Yalta, we were all over the place. Sometimes <laughs> it was embarrassing. Roosevelt would support us. Sometimes he'd support Stalin. Let's get on the same page. So we go into this uh, Polish commission with very clear-cut objectives about how this thing's going to come out because it's very, very important to us because we've got elections coming up and we don't want to get fucked over the Polish right. question. Yeah. Unfortunately, Molotov, and this is where we're going to end up, right? Mm-hmm. Un- unfortunately, Molotov knew everything about... <laughs> Their strategy. Because, Ray. Yeah? You tell us. Because? Of the Cambridge Five. They knew everything. They knew what socks they were going to wear at this meeting. I mean, they know all the positions. They know even where the Americans and the Brits disagreed. They know what exactly they were supposed to say verbatim to each specific subtopic. I mean, they can see everything. And, of course, Molotov being the master, he is going to have his replies canned and ready to go. All right. Before we go, let me thank uh, our latest heroes. Uh, DEFCON yes. 1 heroes, Alistair Beatty, Jeff Strenkovsky, Eddie Hyde, Zlatko Raya, David Halali, Paul Gruka, Charles Canobio, Sinobio, one of the two, Daniel Langdon, Michael Balagula, not related to Dracula. Bacula. Chocula, Count Chocula, Jake Fleming, Alex Newman, Thomas Haskell, Artin Tosca, Joel Cody, Tim Tennis, Kay Kirg, Corey Broadway, Aldous Brown, and Georgie Lewis. Golf clap for DEFCON, latest DEFCON 1 supporters. We we have two new DEFCON 2 supporters. Nice. Robert Young. One. And and Fidel Yobum. Two. Ah, 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 ah. Fidel Yobum. Uh, No. Joke name here, I suspect. (laughs) Fidel Yobum. He Uh, will not tempt me to rape. I mean, to talk about rape. Shit. Thank you to DEFCON 2. These are the people who go, you know what? We're not going to go for the cheapest option. No. Because DBAC, basically. Gonna... <laughs> They're exercising the DBAC rule. <laughs> They're aiming higher. Yes. They're like, you yes. know what? Cam and Ray's hour is worth $2.50 uh, <laughs> an episode a week. Right. Two bucks for right. You can't even get... I don't know about where you live. Here, I, no. I ordered an espresso... With right. the other day, four bucks for a yeah. fucking a shot of coffee. <laughs> it takes a barista yeah. 30 seconds to pull a fucking espresso. Coffee beans, cheap as yeah. shit. The only other thing in it is fucking water. Right. Four dollars. You know how much work we put in to produce an hour of this show? A lot sure. more than the fucking time it takes to pull an espresso is all I'm saying. And... I did all mine in the last 18 hours. Well, when you say all yours, yeah. Well, uh, well, I, uh, there's notes here. Anyway, go ahead. And then we have Defcon, a new Defcon 3, Robert... Get the fuck out of here. Robert Warburton. Defcon 3, Robert Warburton. Now, listen. Oh, you know, I sent him an email saying, anything you need from us, Robert, you are VIP. VI, all of our DEFCON 3 folks. You're a fucking have, VIP. Yeah, you're, you're our VIPs, you know. <laughs> you can you, you don't have to worry about D-back. You can back. You, you can, can. My lips to your VIP. Anytime. 
So thank you, especially to those DefCon two. Thank you to everyone, but particularly the yes. DefCon, the DefCon three people who really, obviously, uh, uh, value what we do. Yes. Um, we appreciate that. Uh, I'm going to read a review. Uh, this is uh, another Aussie. This is uh, Maverick zero four five two. Says, mm-hmm. Baby Boomer here. Having been born in 1952, I landed right in the start of the Cold War that my father thought he had prevented by fighting in yeah. World War Two. But America yeah. and the USSR had different ideas. It's hard not to be sympathetic to Stalin's paranoia about Germany and the motives of the Allies in keeping Russia weak. This was the time that the USA and the USSR became world leaders because everybody else was stuffed and worn out. Podcast is excellent and should be complete in about 2024 when President <laughs> Trump leaves office. Thanks for filling my head with more and deeper resentment. You're welcome, Maverick0452. We're bowing. This is us bowing. You're welcome. I'm also going to read one from uh, the United States. Uh, Mr. Eddie Hyde, also just mentioned Eddie, is one of our new DEFCON ones. Uh, Fantastic, funny, and enlightening. Cameron Riley and Ray Harris have struck gold once again with their newest historical podcast about the Cold War. It's funny, irreverent, philosophical, and at times very serious. If you wish to understand modern geopolitics, then you need to understand the Cold War. Thank you, Mr. Eddie. Thank you. Both of you send us an email and uh, with your address... Remind mm-hmm. us which show you did the review for. Some people go, yes, hey, please. send me my thing. And I go, <laughs> which show? Oh, okay. So yeah. tell us tell us where which show so we remember yeah. which gift to send you. Also, we just want to give a plug, as I mentioned on Facebook this week, our new series, The Renaissance mm-hmm. Times. Right. Nothing we'll, but gravitas. It's going to be so solemn. We'll be starting uh, September, October, something like that, when we finish the Alexander series, which mm-hmm. we're winding up. I know I said a few months ago we'd be finishing June, July. Yeah. It's now the end of August. We're still not finished, yeah. but it's fucking, we're getting there, man. Like, it, yeah. It, people are dying off left and right. Yeah. It's like Game of Thrones. There's not many people <laughs> left alive. Uh, so we know we must be getting towards the end. That's right. Uh, when we do that, uh, we're getting ready for the for the Renaissance show, which I'm really, really excited about. It's a, it's an area that I I don't know a lot about the Renaissance. I'm really excited about going on the journey with you, Ray, and with the listeners. Absolutely. Um, it's going to be a le- blast. Learning about how humanity, but particularly the Italians and particularly the Florentines, mm-hmm. helped pull... Western civilization out of a thousand years of the Dark Ages. Yeah, go Florentines. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. I got. All right. Uh, until next time. <laughs> You're a fine man, Bushnell Mullins. I will not soon forget your kindness and decency. What about the FBI? I am the FBI.